Forgotten Flicks, episode 66, The Dead Zone, 1983. Hello, one and all, and welcome to the Forgotten Flicks podcast. I am Joel, joined by, I'm not even going to come up with with a synonym, Jason, because I don't even know that there are synonyms that are potent, that are as raging, that are as hairy as you. So Jason, the co-host, the man, the munchy chi with a plan. There he is, ladies and gentlemen, and he's not there anymore. <laughs> I see dead people. You do? <laughs> Are you nosing around your grandma's underwear drawer again, Jason? <laughs> I don't put my nose in there, thank you very much. It's a oh, figure man. of speech. <laughs> so, did your, so the question is, did your mom ever catch you masturbating in the closet? Mm, define catch. Yeah, damn it, you're supposed to say no, and I can say great hiding place, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Episode 66! <laughs> we're only three away, Jay. You know what we're only three away from? Episode yep. 69. Three episodes away from Maggie's episode. Yeah, Maggie wanted to, wanted to know, are we doing anything special? <laughs> it's going to be live on the web, folks. That's all I'm saying. In the closet with a webcam. <laughs> oh, yeah. Episode Sixty-nine. <laughs> the beauty of this will be is when we actually get there, let's never even reference anything sexual related to that number. Oh, episode XX. Yeah. yeah. So how you doing, Jay? I'm doing good. I'm actually really, really pumped about this episode tonight. So um, we've had a great week and a half or so. And uh, aside from a little technical difficulties where we had to bump recording one day, I'm, uh, I'm amped up. So I'm in rare form, ladies and gentlemen. Rare form. Rare. In other words, he might actually be funny. No, 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 no. I didn't say I was drunk. <laughs> I just said I'm in rare form. <laughs> it's has a kite. <laughs> yes. Well, Jay, of course, we are going to be talking about The Dead Zone, Stephen King's The Dead Zone from 1983. And I have a full confession to make. Before we get into this movie, I just want to say, so we're going through the opening credits, and my exact words out loud were, why haven't I seen this effing movie before? <laughs> like, I have seen just about every Stephen King adaptation. I, I recently saw friggin' Bag of Bones with Pierce Brosnan. Oh. Okay? I've never seen that. Well, they just came out. It was a miniseries. I can't remember what cable channel oh, it, but they have it on Netflix now. And met Mick Garris, who I've, I've admitted I am a fan of, um, directed it. So yeah, I wanted to give it a chance. It was meh. It was kind of me. Eh. So, but I, I, all of them. I so, watch anything. I've watched Graveyard Shift. I've watched you know, Misery. I watched hell, freaking Night Flyer. Last episode, we, we, we referenced Lawnmower Man. Lawnmower so. Man. One and two. Yes. I've seen almost all the Children of the Corn Godforsaken so, so, sequel. Yeah. So let's let, let's let the listeners in on a little behind the scenes here. Yeah. You and I, when we invented this podcast, basically the week before we did it, we said, hey, let's do this movie. <laughs> no, 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 it's sort of like when we decided to do a podcast, the week before we did it, we're like, hey, want to do a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. 
But then, uh, you know, a good chunk into it, we decided we were going to get a little bit more uh, planned, so we made a list, and we oh, yeah. balanced that list out between horror and action and sci-fi and big movies versus no-names, and so mm-hmm. we, we kind of have this big master list of movies, yep. literally, this yep. huge master list of movies, um, and this was one of those that got put on it, and it was like, yeah, okay, uh, Joel's seen this, I'm sure, so I haven't seen it, but that's a good balance because you know, we want to do some that you have seen and I haven't and vice versa. You're telling me now you've never seen nope, this movie? never saw it. Never? Never. So the time that you saw it, for us to talk about it, it's the first time you've ever seen it. Yep. And what's really wow. what's really bizarre is, again, going through the credits, freaking Deborah Hill produced this. Deborah, I was with John Carpenter, helped write and produce Halloween Hill, produced mm-hmm. many John Carpenter movies, Deborah Hill, okay? it had Michael Kamen uh, did the music for it, which I believe he did the music for, like, Lethal Weapon and... Some other, yeah. I, I mean, I um, hello, David Cronenberg. I was that was my next one. Yeah, David friggin' Cronenberg. Like, now, some of David Cronenberg's, other than well, no, because I've seen video drama, I've seen Scanners. Now, some of his early, early stuff, um, I've only ever seen like clips of. I've always intended to watch, but haven't had a chance. But I like I like Cronenberg stuff. I mean, I've seen Naked Lunch, um, and, and yeah, uh, we've talked about it. Dead Ringers, and obviously The Fly is fantastic. So yeah, it. Yeah, I don't get it, man. I don't know why. It's literally as I'm watching the credits, I'm like, how? I mean, Tom Skerritt is in this movie. Everybody's in this movie. Well, of course, it's Christopher Walken, as you mentioned, is the main character. Except, dude, I'm sorry. Did you find that annoying? The entire movie? I need more. Cowbell. The whole movie. <laughs> I mean, okay, I didn't realize yeah, that's where the yeah. joke came from, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yes. Um, Martin Sheen? Yeah. I was like, so I had never seen this, and Brooke, so I, I showed it all in a PG version of Invaders. Uh, no, sorry, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978 with Donald Sutherland Adams. <laughs> that was hard to say. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, so I I totally went into this thinking you had seen it, and that's no, why it was on the list. So. No, I did not. Wow. So I, I have to ask this because I don't recall. Is this the first movie? That neither of us have ever seen anything of? Other than the very first episode when we did the Tron sequel? Well, well, we saw the Tron. Uh, yes. The, the that was, we Tron had not seen it because it just came out. Is this the first 80s movie that we've talked about on the show? That neither of us had ever seen. Yeah, I think so. Wow. I think so. I'd have to This is a banner day. I'd actually, uh, I'm now much more interested, I'm much more aroused about this wow. episode. Wow. Um, <laughs> really? Are you aroused, Jason? Segway, segway. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I just read a news story that just made me crack up. Um, there's a guy that's suing BMW because the motorcycle he rode on two years ago gave him an erection that lasted till. Yes, that's right. Now. Okay. Can I just ask a quick, obvious two question? Years. Ask, ob- then he's like, okay, now I'm done with it. Obvious question. Okay. Obvious question. Now I'm going to sue you. Obvious question. Why is he suing them? Well, like I said, two years is enough. He's kind of tired of it now, so now he can try and get it fixed. Again. Can you imagine? Think about it, though, because it's a medical condition at this point, right? So you yes, can totally— it is, no, it is no joke. It's called priapism, and if it happens for more than four hours, it hurts. Well, yeah, we know from the commercials, right? Exactly right. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. It totally justifies you can walk around the office, church, what have no, you, no, listen, part tight of pants on, going, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to point something out. Like every meeting, I would stand up and just put my hands on my hips and go, I'd like to point something out. 
<laughs> I just kind of move my head back. Hands on your head. And my head. You know, yeah, well, like... my hands on my hips, kind of, and like tap my fingers <laughs> on my on my pelvic bone. You know, I just tap them, like drawing the attention. Hands on your hips, like that one guy, the one guy in the public restroom when you go up to the urinals that always seems to think he's got to put his hands on his hips to show something off. Like he's standing in a urinal, puts his hand. What is that? Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. And it's like, boy, this water's cold. Oh, <laughs> deep too. <laughs> hey, zinger. Wow, we didn't even get to the trailer. And we already got the penis joke. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, um, this is a banner day. I am actually very excited about this uh, episode because neither of us have seen it. Yeah, so, it's a like big deal. Trailer? I, in fact, uh, would like to play the uh, the trailer, Jay. So um, I will. If the future were in your hands, daughter's screaming. The house is burning. Would you change it? It's not too late. Touch this man's hand, and you are in the grip of the dead zone. I've had another episode. Only the imagination of author Stephen King could take you there. Johnny, wait. With a power that alters the future lives of those you love. You want to kill your own son? I want you out of here. I'm scared, Dad. Or of those you fear. I have had a vision. That I am going to be president of the United States someday, and nobody—I mean, nobody—gonna stop me. Is it a power for good or for evil? If God has seen fit to bless you with this gift, you should use it. Bless me, and a devil. Send for me. Who are you? Who sent you? I'm scared, sir. What's happening to me? See how clear it all is. Not only can you see the future, I can change it. I was there, I saw it. Put your hand on the scanning screen and you'll go down in history with me. I saw his face. I stood there. I did nothing. Stephen King. The dead zone. If God seen fit to grant you with this gift, it wasn't God. It was a BMW motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yeah, would just like, like to, to point, point out something, something out, wrong. sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to point out something wrong about this uh, this uh, trailer. Yeah, yeah please do. He says, if you touch his hand, you're in the dead zone. That's not true because in the movie they explain what the dead zone is yeah and it's not just the overarching so and there were the other mo- other moments where he touched someone's hand and nothing happened and i would say he's the one that goes into it more than the individual he touches yeah, right so that brought up a good point for me because we've talked about this a lot and i've actually tried to convince you that we need to do also a trailer show yes tried to convince me because i was very resistant to the <laughs> idea it's like no jason god we've got a thing we got a formula don't break the formula to do like a little trailer show that's yeah. like a five minute episode once a week and just put it out as a separate podcast so anyway uh this trailer you know brought up a thought for me because i watched this before i saw the movie because i try to watch the official trailer for the movie before i go to see it because i want to try and replicate the experience of going to a theater as much as possible kind of the build up for it and 
And I'm a huge so, wait, fan. So real quick, of- real quick, does that mean you have your daughters uh, and your other kids sit in front of you with like their cell phones talking, and <laughs> you have stale popcorn, and you and you I, have I to like fork over like fifty dollars to your wife yeah. to get the popcorn? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I have. I, yeah, I have the smell that I spray. Yes, it's disgusting. No. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so I watched the trailer for this, and I like to watch uh, trailers. I have um. On my Blu-ray player, there's actually a channel that hooks up to the internet, and I watch all the new trailers. Oh, the trailer channel. I thought you were going somewhere else with that. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Not tranny channel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I saw a trailer that struck me because there, I think there is, and you, we have talked about this, there is an art to a fan-damn-tastic trailer. Oh, absolutely. Regardless of how good or bad the movie is, mm-hmm. there are some trailers that are just phenomenally impactful. Oh, yeah. Very- very good. Species comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Great trailer. Movie sucked hairy balls. Sucks balls. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so I saw a trailer this weekend, and I, I we haven't talked about this, but I wanted to ask if you've seen the trailer for The Dark Knight, the new the Batman. newest trailer. The I seen newest the trailer. I've seen the one where like the ground breaks down and all the football players are. This is the brand new one. Just came out. I think this weekend. Yeah, no, I have not seen that one yet. You have to watch it. It makes me want to see this movie more than I've ever wanted to see any movie in the last couple of years. Really? It is this more amazing... So than Pro- more so than Prometheus. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, Prometheus is an exception. Yeah, I, I, that's something else. Anything. But, no, the setup to this movie is awesome. It is literally... It shows all of these really big action scenes, but it's this really quiet music, uh-huh. like piano music, or it's a little... Quiet, orchestral, yeah, and it's this beautiful buildup. It's slow and quiet, but everything in the background is like chaos. And then, as the music's still playing, it'll be one line from the movie. Uh, you know, either Bruce Wayne say something or, or Bane say something, and it's quotes. But all of those action scenes against almost a silent background. Yeah, it was just fantastic. Yeah, really, really, really good. So, um, I, the trailer just struck me, so I wanted to mention it. But cool. You have to see the trailer. So I will definitely check that out. I um, at, at the moment I may be in the minority, but the uh, I'm, I mean I'm looking forward to the Avengers movie mainly because of Joss Whedon. But uh, probably yeah. the Amazing Spider-Man, the most recent trailer, that is the one I've been the most jacked up for. So I will see if other than Prometheus, right? Oh no, I'm talking about super comic book movies. Yeah, yeah no, Prometheus yeah, yeah. are yeah, hands down. I haven't been this excited to see a <laughs> sci-fi movie when I. It, it's debatable that it's sci-fi, though technically it is. Uh, but Jurassic Park is probably the last time I was this excited yeah, yeah. just from trailers and things like that to see a movie. So, so getting back to tonight. Yeah, um, yeah. The Dead Zone. So you want me to go through the synopsis here? Um, yes, but before you do, Jay, uh, I think uh, someone's got something they want to tell us. Excuse me. Excuse me. Spoiler alert, please. I am thinking that from now on, until <laughs> JV graces graces us with another spoiler alert prompt, 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 whatever the hell you want to call it, that's the only one I'm going to use. <laughs> As an act of We're going to have to start recycling some of the old ones, even if they don't relate to the movie. Yeah, so. at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. So uh, tonight's movie we're talking about is The Dead Zone, as we mentioned, starring Christopher Walken and um, uh, Martin Sheen and Tom Skerritt and Brooke Adams, who plays uh, his his girlfriend in the in the beginning of this. So we are going to spoil the hell out of it because there are a lot of twists and turns to this movie. So be prepared if you haven't seen it. It's basically the story that Christopher Walken plays a character named Johnny. And Johnny, in the very beginning, is happy-go-lucky. He's a school teacher, a little, little creepy, um, reading uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven to his class. And he's just in love with life and his girlfriend. Who, uh, did you love the scene? No, I don't want to get into that yet. But he, he in the very beginning... Uh, goes to his girlfriend's house and they actually they go out to uh, uh, an amusement park rides on a roller coaster ah oh, headache weird oh but i'm okay so then they go to her house and she's like come inside you can spend the night and he's all like oh no uh, some no, things are uh, worth I waiting need more for cowbell <laughs> some things are worth, uh, worth waiting for wa- waiting for <laughs> <laughs> and so he starts to leave and then it starts to rain and she's like no don't go and he's like no I need to go. And he goes to get in his car, and I say, punch buggy! Because he gets in his <laughs> And what's weird is you, that dude drove all the way over to my house, like an hour and a half away, rings my door well, like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what the hell? And he goes, punch Boom! buggy! And he passes me right two times there and goes running off into the night. I was like, what the hell? I saved him up for you, my man. And then I pulled so- <laughs> my massive BMW-induced direction back <laughs> and shut the From door. From now on, that's the code. I got a BMW. <laughs> there you go. Whoa, whoa. I can't stand up. Why? BMW. <laughs> so that, then, that may course, happen during the movie Prometheus, by the way. Maybe or maybe not. Um, <laughs> so he drives off into the rainstorm, and menacingly we see a milk truck <laughs> coming dun, down dun, the road. <laughs> oh, and of course, the... no foreshadowing in her saying, drive safe. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um and so the milk truck driver is falling asleep, and at one point he crashes. The truck tumbles over. Um, Johnny crashes into it and goes into the hospital. Um, the next shot is basically his girlfriend coming to the hospital. Oh, Johnny, I love you. Get better. I, I we were gonna be, we're gonna be together. You know all this, and then. But Jason, real, real quick, can I just interject this? Did you find it to be a little inappropriate that moment? The guy's all bandaged up and everything, and she's staring down at him. You hear DeBarge. Who's Johnny? She said, "It's not." Is not this? Oh, wait, that was not uh, this one. Sorry, wrong Damn movie. <laughs> um, and then, of course, it goes to scene, and it uh, cuts to the next scene. It's the out- exterior shot of the Weezak. <laughs> God, I mean, really, when you're writing a story, come with a better name. <laughs> Probably like somebody's mother's maiden name, and they're gonna hate me. But you know, so it's the Weezak uh, Clinic. Stop laughing when I say that. It just Zach sounds funny. Clinic. The wee Zach. And so they go in, and uh, it's Johnny again, but this time no bandages, no cuts, and they don't show anything else other than him laying in this bed. And he just kind of wakes up like he always would normally wake up, and the, the doctor comes in, and he said, I'm Dr. Weezak. Um, I'm Dr. Sam Weezak. He said it weird, but anyway, so he's, he says, how are you feeling? And he says, oh, and he said you were in a bad car accident. Um, and so the basic gist of it is he's been in a coma for five years. Yeah, that sucks. And, and now as he wakes up, he's trying to cope with, A, his mother's a nut job, which apparently she's always been that way. Yeah, he didn't get... seem surprised by it. No, not really. Um, B, he's been in a coma for five years and doesn't remember any of that five years. See, his girlfriend 
not only is not his girlfriend anymore and not standing by his side, she's remarried and has a child. Um, and then, of course, D, oh, guess what? He has magical powers now because when he touches somebody or grabs their hand, he can see, like, either their past or their future, um, and he kind of has this psychic ability now. Oh, and E, he's going to be walking with a cane for the rest of his life. Um, at least until about an hour and ten minutes into the movie. Oh, and, and, oh, and F, he's going to tutor some kind of uh, marginally creepy kids. Yeah, whose parents are okay leaving them at this shut-in's house yeah. alone. Yeah, Who anyway, talks was... like cowbell. <laughs> so the rest of the movie is him sort of dealing with this new psychic power in which he comes in contact with um, uh, the sheriff of Castle Rock. Significance of Castle Rock. You know that, of course. Oh, of it. course, because that's a made-up town that Stephen King created. Yep, Correct. It is a big-time town. Along with Derry and... Yes, that is in a lot of different Stephen King stories and and, and movies and so on and so forth. So, uh, do you, oh, do you know the story? And of course, this is a big spoiler alert, unless you're a Stephen King fan. But tough, the that the story that Stephen King destroys Castle Rock in. Ding, 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 ding. It was a book. Ding. Needful things. Oh, n- you do you have it in front of you? Just be honest. No, I swear to God. Nice. Am I right? You got it. Oh my God! Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, I swear to God. Score no. one for the Jasonator. <laughs> no, I've read a lot of I things. actually, I, well, I was going to lie and say my respect went up for you a little bit, but that'd be a lie. Oh, that would be a lie. No, I read a lot of Stephen King when I was a kid. I read uh, Misery, Needful Things. Oh, yeah, I love the Misery. Tower. Pet Cemetery. Um, Do Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Scared the crap out of me. Yes, I read It. Oh, uh, yeah. The book. It scared the crap out of me. Yeah. They all misery scared the crap out of me. Georgie. Misery scared the yeah, crap out of me. Yeah, Misery's like, pretty the intense. Of yeah. the book. Yeah. Literally, that's the most I've ever... I was, of course, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. Did you pee your pants? Room Did you pee your pants a little bit? I, I may have had to go... Did change. you shart? No. <laughs> no. I saved that for watching it, the TV series, yeah. <laughs> and, and clown hatred. So, uh, so anyway, so the rest of this movie is, is basically him coming to grips with this power and coming in contact with several different people that mm-hmm. lead him to... Uh, figure out what to do about the future of that person. So Tom Skerritt's character, um, who was the sheriff, he uh, is stumped by this murderer. And so the uh, Castle Rock killer. Right. So he comes to to Christopher Walken's character, Johnny, and says, can you please help me throughout all of this? The the sides, the two side stories are one. He's becoming famous because of this power because everybody knows it. So he has to hide and move to a different town. The other understory is. Uh, his girlfriend, Sarah, who he comes back in contact with, meets the kid, ends up meeting the husband, and you know, so on and so forth. So those are kind of the side stories, which I'll get to in a second. But that all happens at the same time as he's kind of discovering this, this new power. Now, yeah. um, this also was made into a very successful series yep. starring Anthony McCall. Yep, who is a very famous 80s actor, and actually I have never seen any of Neither have I. I. I would actually I like could, to. But I could see Anthony, Michaels Hall, Anthony Michael Hall's character in this role. Like, I could picture him, yeah. you know, kind of fulfilling this role and being good at that character type and you know, that archetype. So, anyway. Yeah. So that's basically the scenario. Well, and I do want to point out, since uh, you didn't mention it, so I, I don't know if you caught it, but do you know who the uh, doctor was, the guy who played Sam... Weenie, Weezyak, or Weezy? Was it Weezy? <laughs> Weezy we- like Jefferson. Who the actor was? Yes. 
Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't uh, look it up or catch it or anything. That is Mr. Herbert Lom, who is probably most notable for having played Inspector Clisso with the twitchy uh, Inspector um, Dreyfus, excuse me, uh, the guy with the twitchy eye in uh, the Pink Panther movies. Oh with my Clouseau, God! Yeah. Yes, the twitchy eye guy. Yeah, oh, the, Dreyfus. Yes. Yeah. Oh, Inspector Clouseau is Peter Sellers. Dreyfus is uh, the. I don't know what the, the hell. Guy that, yeah, the, the, whatever the French the equivalent of like the captain is, because he hates him. <laughs> and he has yes. a twitchy eye, which I always like to point out that after substitute teaching, I too developed the Dreyfus twitchy eye. Yeah. And that's what I call it, my Dreyfus. And I say that I definitely recognize. That. Yeah, and he was in a ton of stuff. He actually did some horror pictures. Like if there was a Phantom of the Opera uh, version that he was in. He played uh, Phantom. Um, he was in Lady Killers, which is an old movie with Alec uh, Guinness. Um, he was in Spartacus. I mean, he's been in a ton of movies, so he's a really uh, well-known, you know, versatile actor. Yeah. But yeah, it's got a. It had a great cast. It really did. Yeah, it did. It did surprisingly so. Um, so. Do you want to get into your thoughts on it, or do sure. you want to get into a couple elements of the movie? No, let's uh, let's do thoughts real quick. Um, I think the, the first thing that jumped out, out of me, number one, I'm totally biased for Stephen King stuff. Always have been, always will be. I'll admit it up front. So even when it sucks, I always do the whole, well, yeah, but uh, I don't know. I still, because I don't know if it's something about, I just, and I like the way his characters come about, even when it's in a movie adaptation. It's just something about the small town and the the unknown and the the horror that you know happens there just all those yeah. elements all those king sort of it would i guess you could almost argue at this point or somewhat clichés <laughs> yeah but but it's a flavor and it, it's definitely something unique to um his style and his stories yeah but uh, but even things like the langoliers which i will fully admit you want to talk about awful cgi um is awful i still find it. i'll i'll watch it you know what i mean like if it's on yeah. i will watch it and there's a lot of things that i think were at a, um adaptations of his work that are pretty uh, unsung one i would like to do eventually is the dark half which was uh, george romero directed that uh, it, that's a great movie um you know there's there's a lot of them i mean i i'm a big fan of like i even like sleepwalkers okay i'll admit it i don't care <laughs> judge me the cats Yes, I like that movie. I have this like <laughs> that movie. We're talking about a like just C N D up the wazoo. Yeah. For some reason, just a time. There was also that that window. Like I was really starting to get huge into horror. Like you know, middle school into high school, and it was like that window of like late late eighties into the early nineties, or like ninety ninety one ninety two. There was like this just spate of Stephen King stuff. Like you had it in the early eighties, right? You had like Christine and Cujo yep, and, yep. and all that stuff came out then. But then in the early nineties, a lot of it was TV based, right? So, but yeah, you just but had a ton of it. Came back up. Yeah. yeah. You had Pet Cemetery, then Misery. And you know, you had uh needful things came out a little bit later, but you know, you had obviously it and you had graveyard shift and I mean, just a laundry list of different adaptations of uh, Stephen King stuff. So I loved it. Um, with the dead zone, it was interesting because I actually, it made me want to read the book, which is a good thing. Like it made me realize there, it felt like there was there were elements missing that because being a movie and being visual and David Cronenberg to his credit as a visual filmmaker didn't go with the tried and true cop out of the narrator who just tells us what yeah, he's thinking. Right, right, um, right. It, we actually had to guess at some things like like you made the point of uh, early on he's on the roller coaster before his accident he has the headache. Obviously, we're supposed to surmise from that there was uh, something indicative of him having this condition this ability right. but it was the accident the coma that really allowed it to come to fruition yeah. so but as a david cronenberg movie goes i thought this is extremely subdued like there were 
other than other than the 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 rape scene on the gazebo, which was pretty quick, it was. I mean, if you've ever seen Videodrome or Naked Lunch yeah, or God yeah. Help You Crash, the help. one with James Spader that was NC seventeen, and and let's just put it this way, folks, it ain't like the uh, anti racist movie. It's about people having sex with leg wounds and stuff. It's out there um so i mean he definitely has put he pushes envelopes a lot of times and he's definitely into this whole idea of i mean going to like scanners and obviously videodrome and dead ringers he has this whole thing about the like the horror of the flesh you know there's something about you know the, right. the human body the human condition and and he's a very intellectual guy and he's just he's an interesting guy to listen to extremely smart and but but as a, as a david cronenberg movie goes this was it felt to me very subdued because other than the the one scene the one scene with the Castle Rock killer, because as it turns out, of course, um, that whole sequence where um, Johnny ends up helping them do their investigation and figures out who the killer is. Well, when he, the killer kills himself, I don't know. Do you want to give it away the, who it is? No, don't give away who the killer is. Okay. So when when the killer— They, they close in on who the killer yes, is. Yes, and when that, that scene, the way it culminates, yeah. that felt very—that that definitely was a little bit more. But even then, the, the it felt subdued. It almost felt like the whole movie was— like I was watching it on like pay, not uh, not cable TV, but like just regular network TV, and they had cut out stuff. It's it's how it felt to me. It didn't it felt kind of? So I don't know if maybe the original version it was a little bit more to it, but so from that end, it felt more subdued, and it felt. And again, I don't know if this is the way it is with the book, but because the whole angle with the senator, because it's sort of a key point and, and actually what i thought yeah. the bulk of the movie was going to be was that he ends up shaking hands with a senator played by martin sheen who's just this power hunger and i love the fact that they that the character it was a third party character and it was meant to i think represent just that idea of just kind of crazed just wanting absolute power he just was indicative of everything that's wrong at all with the whole political system and at one point johnny shakes his hand and sees this guy does become president one day right during the movie he's running for senate and when he becomes president he's going to have a quote-unquote vision that he's supposed to create you know cause nuclear nuclear war and cause world he's war supposed III. to push the button yeah which and i was a little yeah. bit disappointed in that because like the build-up to it was so good i thought yeah. for sure we'd see some flash see something that you know I don't know, something more visual to, to indicate it. but Well, but can I be honest? Yeah. I thought that the bad thing he did, there's, there's two cliches it could have been. One is he becomes president and, of course, pushes the button. And in 1983, obviously a real fear or potential fear of uh, you know, we're in the, you're still at the, towards the end of the Cold War, but still a real oh, yeah. uh, potential. Oh, yeah. um, so I'm not discounting that so much, but. They made it to where he was literally like a nut job going to push the button and talk some general into pushing it with them. I really thought they were going to he was going to shake his hand and like he was going to have a dead hooker in a hotel room or something like that was going to be his his terrible thing. As oh, you really did? <laughs> yes, I swear to God, I thought that the whole time I'm like, OK, because I thought it was going to be that he did because he was obviously a thug. And they were building up that he was a thug, and I thought at some point it was going to be, you know, they had like some dead hooker in the room that he's trying to cover up, or no? I, I knew that going in. I knew about the whole. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. I, did. Yeah, I knew. I knew that conceit that he was going to end up causing World War because that was like the big thing about the book. That was the big twist that this guy. Oh, even in the trailer. I mean, they you heard they they yeah yeah they yeah, pretty much true. give it away. So, uh, and and I think that so. The problem, if I have a real knock on the movie, is it felt a bit disconnected. Like, I felt as if there was almost like three acts, but they didn't have any connective tissue. There was no yes. there was no arc that kind of carried 
other than the character, Johnny does go through an arc for sure, but other than his character, the story itself feels almost like it's just incidental, like it's running parallel with it, but not on the same track as it. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I was kind of wondering how you feel about the movie because, uh, you know, I know you and I are both big Christopher Walken fans and I, I love his acting and um, his style and his character. And he definitely, I think, his acting in this was, was great. Yeah. Um, but the story was just so choppy. Yeah, I think that's I mean, what it was. It felt like three acts, but it literally felt like almost three separate vignettes. Like, yeah, act like one the- is him finding out he has this condition and kind of setting it up. And, oh, gosh, how's he going to deal with this? And going back but to then his they life. left off so much of it. Like, it wasn't even the acts of, like, a play where it stops and then picks up with a separate point. There's just so much that didn't happen and so much that just didn't play out. Like, I thought they were building up to more and then nothing happened. Like... I've got a. I've got my list. I will refer to my list. Okay, so number one, am I the only one that was rooting for that bitch to be the next one to be killed by the Castle Rock killer? Are you talking about his girlfriend or his ex-girlfriend yes. or whatever? So here's what happens. I totally thought he, that's what was going to happen to make it motivate. So, he was going to touch her yes. and see that she gets killed by him. That was going to motivate him to go after the killer. So he basically uh, uh, wakes up from a coma after five years, finds out, she, oh, yeah, guess what? She doesn't love him anymore, or she moved on quickly. Which I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. Why? You know, I wouldn't necessarily judge that. I could see if you were basically told, "Look, the person's ever coming out of the coma. The other be a vegetable." What, so if she should was she supposed to pine for the guy for the rest of her friggin' life? I don't think that's well. Fair. The way they built it up in the story is that was the love of her life. That was the big thing. And the way they left it off was, you know, she wasn't a casual girlfriend. They were going to be no, married. No, for sure. No, I know she wasn't casual. But I'm so I'm not going to I'm not going to necessarily fault her for do for moving on after five I, years. I am. Okay. Um, and so then who's the yes. moralist? Who's the Puritan? Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> so then he, she visits him one day. Cause first of all, it's like, why are you visiting him? And then that, okay, okay, I can understand. You need a little closure. You need to tell him, you know, talk to him. And she's like, I'm married. And, oh, I thought your dad would have told you I have a baby too. And I, and Chris, was like, how old is he? And I was thinking, oh, oh, maybe it can be his. Oh, wait. You I was, said, I actually liked, I actually liked that. They immediately dating. went 10 months. <laughs> yep. 10 months. Um, so. I know. I turns out you were also about a, a BMW right before the accident. So I mounted you while you were in the coma. <laughs> so she leaves. You know, it's that whole dramatic moment, and I understand that. And that was kind of the. It was almost the um, Helen Hunt moment from Castaway. You know, at the very end. Where oh yeah. She had moved on too, but they. She. You know, I thought they were going to have that kind of thing. It was like, no, move on. So then that kind of ends. But then she comes back. Yeah, that was the part where you're like, really? She comes back when he's living with his father. She comes back, brings the baby, immediately puts the baby to bed and comes in and says, remember when I said there were some things worth waiting for? I think you've waited long enough. And she takes the shirt, like unbuttons her shirt and. Yeah, but, okay, but here, okay, let me just add, interject this. And I am definitely, I've said this before, I'm definitely no prude when it comes to a sex scene in a movie, unless it brings everything to a screeching frigging halt, which drives yes. me crazy. So, because it's not about the sex scene, it's about the fact that if it doesn't fit and you're just doing it for its own sake, it's like anything else. It's, it takes away from the story. So that being said, dude, it, you almost got the vibe like nothing happened. Like the way it was shot, it was she she unbuttons her top button. They start to kiss, and it's not like you get to dissolve and like her buttoning her shirt back up. Or it's like the way it cuts is like now they're in the kitchen. They're kind of giggly. Like maybe they just necked. I don't know. I know. And then the dad comes in, and you know, of course, uh, Christopher Walken starts talking about his like when they open the scene. It's her cooking them dinner. Yeah. 
and him at the table and he's like and so Mrs. So and so down the street likes to have my dad come down and build her cabinets and <laughs> and so uh, I think she wants this companionship. So dad comes in and uh, he's like, so what can you I just, guys can I just make a day? point? You just did Christopher Walken by way of Andrew Dice Clay, but continue. <laughs> And so dad comes in and says, what have you guys been doing all day? And Christopher Walken's like, don't you see, don't you see the making cabinets? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I think like... what we need is more stretch marks around her mouth. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> BMW. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, they, he, they allude to it, but then like, you're like, okay. So as the story's building, they're thinking, okay, she's leaving her husband and she's uh, with Christopher, with Johnny now. And they're all sitting on the table and dad says, uh, oh, it's nice to have a family around here again because at this point, mom has died. She dies early on in the movie. Um, and he said, it's nice to have a family around the table again. And she gives him this look. And then you realize as she's walking out to the car, she's, he's like, am I ever going to see you again? She's like, not like this. And I'm like, whoa, wait, what? Yeah. She brought her 10-month-old over. To see a guy who's been in a coma for to five years. To be fair, he was taking to a nap. Give him a booty call? Yeah. And then you're going to leave him? Yeah. Hello? Well, no. to be fair, that's all he ever wanted. No. And then, of course, at that point <laughs> is when he had turned down the sheriff to help out with the uh, um, murderer. Castle yep. Rock killer. And I'm thinking, oh, God, if there is karma, she's going to be driving off into the snow at night, and the Castle Rock killer is going to Actually, when, when we were watching it, gonna... my wife, because when you see when he goes up to this one uh, girl's body and he, he touches her hand and he sees what happened to her from a distance, yeah. and Heather's like, is that the girl that he just, I was like, I don't well, know. Well, and they actually think. built up when they were like, who's the girl? Do you know who it is? And they show a close-up shot of the body covered in a blanket. And they, they, it's a slow shot of, of Tom Scarry. Yeah, I think they were trying to grabbing get, it. Yeah. I think they were trying to lead you to think it was. But it's funny because, you know, my wife was kind of half watching it the other room and she was in the kitchen and this happened. And the, the woman drives off, says, you know, of course, Sarah says, now you won't see me like this again, kisses him fully, and then drives off. My wife's like, bitch! <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, that was, that was a little, it was, it was just, I guess what it was, it was so just. Blase, like there was, yeah, it was yeah. like you know, you're you're. So what you're gonna do is a husband who you apparently are very fond of. I mean, it doesn't you didn't get a vibe that this right. guy was a jerk to her or abusive. I mean, he's just a decent right. guy. You have a kid with him that's only ten months old. Okay, so you're, you're still going through all the first year baby stuff, and you see this guy after fighting out. Don't wrong, probably still has feelings for him, still loves sure. him, but you just come over and very and, and I don't know if it was the uh, <laughs> performance of the actress, if it was the direction. I don't know if it, it was. Yeah. A, I mean, the thing about Cronenberg is in this. It, similarly to like a Stanley Kubrick, his films can have a coldness to them because he is very intellectual. And I think that comes through in his movies. Now, I think the difference is Kubrick's films feel cold. The Shining notwithstanding, because that's just in the snow. <laughs> and it works really well for that one. Um, but one of my knocks on Kubrick, and yes, I actually have a knock on the God, um, is because he does shots a thousand and one times, slight hyperbole on my part. But he'll do you know, a take of somebody washing their hands 40 times. Any sense of spontaneity or inherent truth in the lost. moment is yeah. gone. He's like, it's almost like his whole goal is to create artifice. So it's very, very, very calculated. Yes, and and it, and it shows in his movies. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Cronenberg's different. Cronenberg, I don't feel like he does that. I think there's just a almost. And again, going back to that concept of everything about the the flesh and almost there's a there's like almost a a medical like a. 
uh, a physician's thought process on the whole. Like you just you feel as if it's under the knife, you know, metaphorically yeah. speaking. And so there's there's a detachment that way, but it, and it usually works. I think the only problem is in this movie, there needed to be a little more warmth, especially from her toward him, for that to work. And there wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it wasn't. It was. It, it was, was like she was casual. just doing. A, she was just doing him. A, she was just, you know. Yeah, I kind of. I kind of owe you some ass, don't I? <laughs> I said you had to wait. It's oh been five years no. Now. Yeah, okay. yeah. And now, can I go home? Now? I know I look yeah, like. Is it Cagney or Lacey? I don't remember which one. I know I kind of look like one of those, but with, yeah. With, yeah. Um. So my other thing, uh, was I mean, aside from the fact that we had choppy factor and you had this mega bitch, but. The, the the last segment of it, the thing that, that I think excited me most, the most about this movie was I want to read the book. Yeah. Like you had mentioned, because I could see where, okay, the build up to the end, the whole final, I guess we call it act three, because this definitely was kind of broken up into three acts. The whole act three is he finally moves away, uh, uh, moves out on his own and uh, changes his name, John Smith or whatever. Um, although... I don't know if that was his name the whole time, but he kind of made it like he was changing his identity at the end because he got these scads of mail, people wanting to find their children yeah, yeah. or find their lost pet or whatever. So as he's – and I love this buildup, and I love the visual of he moves into this new house across the street as an empty lot or mm-hmm. a park or something. And slowly as the, as the movie progresses, they're building this great big sign for Martin Sheen's character. Greg Stilson. Stilson, and it's basically him in a hard hat. But this, the 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 sign slowly builds over time as he's there. America right? and God's general contractor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, and of course he plays the kind of thuggish. Um, uh, I don't know, almost mafia esque, but they don't okay, really get real into quick that. though. Can I interject, Jay? Seriously, yeah. one security guard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know the maybe politics were uh, the world was different in eighty three. I get it. You didn't have maybe. The, the no, press he's still going to have at least a couple. Yeah, that one yeah. gruesome kind of thuggish guy, yeah, definitely not going to be enough. But So they basically play Martin Sheen as this power-hungry guy, and they also introduce this this guy, this kid's dad. I, I don't remember what his name was now. It was, well, Anthony uh, Zerby's the actor. The... Okay, and he, yes, and it was um, um, Chris was the kid's name, right? Yep was his name and his dad is this rich guy and the way and i don't know if it was the acting or roger stewart i cheated and looked as roger stewart was the dad roger okay that's right so he comes in one day when christopher walken has changed his name and he's this teacher guy or he's a a um tutor and he comes in like in a in a fuss i mean he comes in like very flustered and kind of i need to talk to you and i heard you're a great teacher and i've done my research about you i need your help with my son did it feel to you like this whole time he was building up there was something else there yes like he was either at first before you met his son it felt like he was building up to i'm rich my son is lost i know that you can do or his son was dying or that or something was where he needed help with his son and wanted to ultimately get walk in to use his power Correct. But was going to then, use the tutor thing as a front. They introduced the element of the fact that this guy, Roger, is friends with Stilson. Yeah. The the guy running for Senate. So you think, oh, maybe he's trying to get him to find out something about Stilson. Because earlier, they uh, one of the reporters in, in an earlier scene had said something about who do you think is going to win the Senate race. And so in this, uh, Martin, uh, I mean, um, um, 
Stewart or Roger Stewart guy is sitting in front of the TV watching a commercial with this Stilson guy, and he makes some comment like, ah, this guy's going to be dangerous. Somebody should do something about him. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Yeah, you know? even though Roger is obviously one of uh, Stilson's donors. Right, because in the beginning, they're buddy-buddy, and he's talking about money, and he even says something about you have to keep your enemies close and your friends close and yada, yada. The whole, the whole setup of, of this guy, this rich guy and his son, Chris, really just ended in the fact that Johnny was supposed to see Chris going out onto a, a, a frozen lake that his friends fall through. Yeah. Like that whole story buildup was like, that's it? Yeah. Darren lies exactly what I was talking about, though, and you hit the nail on the head. It's there, what you described, like, say, for instance, Stuart had an agenda to stop Stilson. He had a feeling he couldn't quite place it. Like the idea that maybe Christopher Walken isn't the only one that can do this kind of thing, but maybe because of his coma, it helped make it very clear for him. But maybe this guy, Stuart just has one of those intuitions about Stilson. He doesn't trust him, blah, blah, blah. And maybe he even at the time thinks, well, I just want this guy to find out some dirt for me uh, to use against him. Whatever his motives are is beside the point at this point. But what you described was more gave it more sense of unity, whereas the way it stands as it as it currently is. And again, without having read the book, if you've read the book, you know, email us, let us know. Maybe that's that. Maybe that's where the book can obviously go into a lot more depth of what character motivations were and 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 real and things like that. But it felt like it just you're right. Like just that was the whole point. And really, if you ends up making the whole thing feel like it was purely a plot device just to get him and Stilson to cross paths, even though Stilson's little bandstand is across the street from his house. Like you didn't need yet another coinky dink uh, location for because as a matter of fact, he doesn't even touch Stilson's hand until. They, Stilson shows up accidentally at the, the, yeah. in the park across the street, which I actually thought would have been a better device because the whole element of the sign is slowly building. And then at one point at the very end, as the rally is almost ready to happen, yeah. this guy comes to Johnny's door and said, have you heard about Representative Stilson? Yeah. He's running for Senate. And you're like, uh, no, I'm not really a voting. And, uh, and so, but you uh, need more cowbell. You have you have some literature, and yeah, my wife will get you some literature. Honey, bring up some literature, and of course, who is it? It's the hoe. Uh, <laughs> you mean Sarah? Sarah comes walking up. She's like, "Oh, hi, Johnny. Is this where you're living now?" Because you know, obviously, and then, and then the husband turns around and he has a kick-ass soul glow and says, "Who's Johnny?" She said, and smiled in a special. <laughs> no, but actually, her God, that would have been says, awesome. Her husband says, oh, you're Johnny. He oh. talks about it. Or he says something like, She's, I've heard so much about you. And he looks at her when he says that. Yeah. So it's like, awkward. <laughs> so at that point, that's when he kind of sees her. And then um, Sarah and her husband are at the rally across the street. And it's almost like he decides he's going to go to the rally to see her. Yeah. And he coincidentally bumps into Stilson, which sets up the handshake, which sets him up to see the whole crazy president scene. See, and here's where that here's me, where mine kicks in. This is the way it should have rolled. You're right, because that should have been sort of the, the pivotal point. The first act should have been, if within the first 10 minutes he gets in the car accident and wakes up from the coma, world is over as he knows it. By the end of the first act, Sarah's come back into his life, and there should have been more resistance there. There should have been obstacles that prevented them from getting closer to give him the motivation to want to get closer and closer to her. 
right? Then cut to, okay, he can't take it anymore. By the end of the first act, he's got to be on his own. He's moved out to this house, or maybe he's already in a house where the, the thing's being built maybe across they, the street. Like maybe he's already kind of made peace with her, yeah. or tried to, or yeah. Yeah, so then the first act, though, going into the middle of the movie, becomes he meets Stilson, shakes his hand, gets the image, and maybe he just gets a, a, a just enough of the image, and maybe he doesn't completely trust this thing yet that's in him. Right, to right. where you know, so the whole movie leads up to this moment in the where we go into the third act, where he gets the full picture, makes the decision, follow through, follow up the way to the climax of where he's going to shoot this guy. You know what I'm saying? It could have been the same yeah. movie, but that at least would have yeah. felt unified. The way it stands okay. now, you're like. And you know what? Did we just school David Cronenberg and Stephen King? Yeah, bitches, we did. What's <laughs> up? <laughs> hey, that's TV. Oh, yeah, oh, sit on it, oh. David. We know better than you, dumbasses. We're sitting in our closets on and our on a fucking. Po- oh my god, never mind. Yeah, I'm embarrassed. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, seriously. Um, I didn't feel as much emotional connection to. Uh, decision he made at the end to finally like he yeah. trusts his vision completely was that lee harvey oswald's gun by the way <laughs> did it, it, it was the, the bolt action rifle like it looked like a lee yes. harvey oswald gun i always wonder if that was on a purpose it might have been because i know okay, that so- king has like a real like his newer book that just came was it uh, 11 all about you know kennedy being assassinated and okay, yeah. so so he's obviously had an obsession with that so i, I wonder if that wasn't on purpose yeah it could have been um, and, you know, we've talked about this element before also, which is if you're going to show a shotgun leaning in the corner early in the in the story, yeah. you have to have the shotgun later be part of the story, right? Yep. Okay, so he drops a high-velocity rifle round down, and it hits the ground, and then rolls under somebody's seat. And then I guess we're not going to talk about that anymore. I'll be honest with you, that doesn't bother me the same way. And, the re- and I'll tell you why, because that was meant to create suspense. And it was incidental to the moment. Now, had he, for instance, um, had had a different weapon or something that was he was cleaning at the beginning of the movie and it didn't come into play. I think it's OK if you're in the last you know 10 minutes of the movie and an element like a piece of ammunition is used to, to drive home. A, it was meant for suspense. It was I don't I didn't feel like yeah, that. But you need more resolution to it than that. Like the thing should have rolled completely out of the way for him to go. Oh, okay. Well, I think when you saw a foot kick it, I think you were supposed to surmise that it was now out of sight. I think you were yeah, supposed to. They, it seems like the shot went to great pains to show it. It was under someone's. Yeah, it anyway, was. Anyway, yeah. so anyway, my point was in that, like, they, they were building up to that. He trusted his visions at this point. He knew that this guy was going to become president and kill millions of people. And he he talked to the doctor and asked the doctor, if you could go back and you knew everything you know now, would you kill Hitler? murder him and he said yes of course and he said you know you'd never get away with it and they'd kill you and he says like uh, i know i don't care or something and then he says something like in russian or um which i didn't catch the line did you catch that like when he before the doctor takes the shot um he said something i don't remember what he said like no i don't remember but he says something and does the shot basically saying of course i know i would die but it would be worth it and i know so that's when of course he makes the resolution within himself but i just wasn't as emotionally invested in at that point to feel like oh my god he's gonna do it is he gonna do it oh it's gonna oh and then it just see my favorite thing about this movie 
and, my, and what you brought when you brought up the whole conversation that he has with the the doctor because what what it was when he touched the doctor's hand he saw that the doctor which is interesting because everybody else was pretty much present or future bad things yes, that were happening or that, mostly immediate future yeah no nobody well no 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 okay no to be fair there was the past because we touched the dead girl's hand he saw her being killed which uh, didn't yeah, pass so yeah. but he saw the doctor's but why why with the doctor. Did he see like World War II when the doctor was a little kid? And again, I would assume in the book, maybe they can go into this more. My guess is it has something to do with the fact that what he really sees are those pivotal, most dramatic traumas that ever happened to you. So for some people, maybe it's already happened. Some people, it's current. Like the one woman, he touches the nurse's hand. Her daughter is in the house fire. And if her her daughter would die, that would be the most traumatic thing ever for this woman. So, And, And to be fair, for those of you who are either fans of the TV show or have read the book, they may explain that in the show. Yeah, we don't know. In the movie, though, it's kind of left open-ended. So, But he sees right. that this guy, this doctor back in World War II, was a kid and was separated from his mom, who he has assumed is always dead. And Johnny points out to him shortly thereafter oh, that, no, she's not. She's alive, and I know her name and where she lives. And yeah. And that's when it comes to that, that conversation about, would you kill Hitler? That is exactly the thing. And I will say, despite all the criticisms, I actually like this movie. And I like it because of that moral nugget i like that that was the yeah. thing, that the, the that moral question that gray line the thing i loved about lost and what i loved about like 24 before it became completely ridiculous and, and you know shows like that where they ask these questions that aren't black and white and aren't simple you know it's, yeah. it's sort of like the idea would you go back in time to kill hitler and it's a baby because it's yeah, a baby yeah. it's okay you know it's going to be hitler one day but it's still a baby and right. or like damien and the omen you know it's like yeah, it's, it's a little a freaking tiny right. kid you okay are you sure <laughs> right. so it, i like that i that really gets my mind racing and so i love that that connection and then sort of it carrying over to him deciding to okay how what's that decision i think here's the real flaw in the movie that is a question that could have sustained the entire story yes you actually could have they, they could have drawn that out more in the movie they could have made that more of the that movie de- that yeah that sort of internal is, debate with that you know, yes, the character with himself yeah, that's for the, whole the kind movie. of tension yeah. that i think moviegoers love is that yep. that struggle you know that he he's driving i didn't hate the movie i mean i didn't absolutely i can't hate it because it's christopher walken first of all and you know martin sheen is fantastic in it but um, I just I, I felt like it could have been so much better, yeah. and I wanted to like it more because I mean, with no preconceived notion going into it, I wanted to like it more because of what the story could have been. Yeah. Um, but just as the movie stands alone, I, I thought it was just too choppy. Um, so it wasn't the best, but um, I didn't hate it. So meh, it was it was good, but. Yeah, well, and, and I agree with that. I, I definitely didn't hate it, and I already admitted my bias with you know, Stephen yeah. King stuff. Yeah. So, uh, But that being said, I did. it's not a movie that I could see myself watching you know, again and again. It, yeah. it's like, if it was on, I might watch a few minutes of it, because I can appreciate I mean, um, the, uh, the, the cinematography, the music. I mean, everything about the production itself was really well done. I think really what it comes down to for both of us was, a lack of connectivity and unity to the story combined with a lack of emotional resonance because David Cronenberg, quite frankly, that's not his forte. <laughs> it, right. You know, it's like having Kubrick do The Shining. The Shining, now his Shining as a movie is brilliant, but as it stands for the emotional elements of King's original story, it completely misses the mark because neither of those well, filmmakers but, but least, capture that. Okay, but at least in The Shining, the, the movie was able to... St- to stand alone as a separate yes, I would piece concur. of artwork. Yes, okay? I would concur so with that. It was great as it was, even though it wasn't exactly true to the original story or it wasn't it didn't have the emotional tie. I mean it's the same thing on a very, very shallow level with 
um, Jurassic Park, which I don't think you've you read. You haven't read the book. Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. Have you really? And Lost World. Okay. So those to me were fantastic books. I'm a huge Michael Crichton fan of, of his writing and stuff. The movie, very different. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff in the movie yep. emotionally is very different and the story plays out very but because different. Of, but, but Spielberg's a very emotional filmmaker. Like his films are just... It was it, very different. It's usually one of the criticisms worked. of him is that his films are almost too, you know, they're too sentimental. Yeah, they're yeah. too emotional. And, but yes, but it, it does. On, it does work. But yeah. it worked. And, it, and so even though it wasn't true to the, the, the book completely and it had very different emotional tie, it worked still. So yeah. this one I just thought in The Dead Zone, it made me intrigued because I thought, ooh, that Stephen King story is probably pretty good and there's probably filling in some gaps here. But... In the movie, it was a little too herky jerky and kind of stop and start um, as a film by itself. So, yeah. anyway. indeed, indeed, I'll leave it at that. So, you, would you like to, my friend, at this point, go on to our picks? I think I can answer it by saying. I like it much better when you do it live. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I flush the toilet and then hit with a plunger. Uh, yep. When you do that live on tape. <laughs> <laughs> live on tape. All right, Jay, what's your pick, man? Okay. So I did kind of go with low hanging fruit this time. I know. I know. It's always, uh, I always try and find something uh, completely out there, but I felt so bad that I banged on a Christopher Walken film that I wanted to pick another Christopher Walken. You should have just said cause I, that, I, that I banged Christopher Walken. What we need is more BMW. <laughs> so, Between my legs. <laughs> so I went with another movie that I liked him in very much, which is Biloxi Blues from 19. Ah, cool. Um, which stars Matthew Broderick and Christopher Walken plays his sergeant. It's basically oh, God, the story. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah, um, it's basically the story. So it, the screenplay was written by Neil Simon. This was actually supposed to be a pseudo sequel to... I know it was based on a Neil uh, Simon um, autobiography, right? I mean, it was a somewhat autobiographical. Um, the play. It was based on the yeah the autobiographical play, but it was I think it was Lost in Yonkers. Was that the? Uh, yeah, Lost the in Yonkers original? is Neil Simon's. So yeah, it must be. That was yes, Jason. Be... It is. Mm-hmm. Ah, good. It was supposed to be the because I've seen both movies, and so the Lost in Yonkers is kind of the pre World War II. Him as a teenage yeah. young kid growing okay. up. This was supposed to be kind of a follow up to that on the same storyline. But anyway, it's a uh, it's a uh, Matthew Broderick's character uh, Eugene, who's Eugene is also in Lost in Yonkers, um, goes into the army. You know, it's the classic scene. This is hot. This is Africa hot. Tarzan. Yeah, I remember that from the preview. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically him going through boot camp and everything, and his. Uh, you know, ass busting sergeant is Chris, played by Christopher Walken, who played, I think, a fantastic, not not an Arlie Ermy esque, which was you know a little bit different of a character uh, in um, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Yep. But he definitely played a very good kind of drill sergeant type, and he was hilarious and very funny. So um, I picked that one just because I thought his character in that was so good, and I love the movie. It's very funny. Um, so yeah, that's my cool. Alexi Blues, nineteen eighty-eight. Excellent. You haven't seen it. Oh, oh, and Casey uh, Samashko is in it too. Who is? Oh yeah, that's uh, right. One of the mascots of our show. So. Yes, of course. Anyway, is he, isn't he the one the trailer that says the whole thing about it being hot? Africa? No, I. Yeah, it's either him or Matthew Broderick. I can't remember. Yeah, maybe it's Matthew Broderick. I don't know. It's been. So I think it was Matthew Broderick it. that says it because he's supposed to be kind of a comedian character type. Yeah. So okay. Anyway. Well, my choice, my friend. Speaking of low hanging fruit, although mine I think is probably more obscure. Rotten fruit. 
Oh, yes. There's definitely some rotten fruit. Um, It is The Brood from 1979. Now, this is a David Cronenberg joint. And it came out, I think, because Scanners came out in 1980 or 81, maybe 81. So this is right before that. It's a few years, obviously, before The Dead Zone. And Cronenberg had done a few movies prior uh, to The Brood. He had done, uh, they came from within, which I think was also called Shivers. He did another one called Rabid, which I do believe starred Marilyn Chambers. <laughs> Behind the green door. <laughs> Speaking of stretch marks around the mouth. Oh! Hello. This is before. This was, I think, either like right at the beginning of her pony days. You know what I'm saying? So, but this was probably one of his first, more slightly more mainstream movies. Uh, he's still working out of Canada. It actually starred Oliver Reed, and it had Art Hindell or Hindle, I guess how you pronounce it, who was in Black Christmas from 1974. He was uh. he was the boyfriend, the kind of real good-looking guy that had the, yeah, the, yeah. the furry jacket that's like with him trying to figure out who, you know, where his, gr- <laughs> yes. you know I'm talking about, that guy? He had well, the awesome coat. Yes, he had the awesome coat. He was a Canadian <laughs> actor, and of course, Cronenberg being a Canadian filmmaker, a lot of his uh. films were funded by, uh, you know, the Canadian Arts Council or whatever they have uh, right, up there right. that funds film projects. And it's... I'm just going to I, a full confession. I've never seen it. I've always wanted to see it. It's always been on my short list. There's like along with the dead zone. There's always those ones that I'm like, really? What? How did yeah. I get to be this? And I still have, oh, ah. um, this would be one of them. And it, I'm just going to read the IMDB description. Cause it, it, I'm going to read both of them actually. Cause well, the first one's pretty good. The second one's hilarious. A man tries to uncover an un- unconventional psychologist therapy technique that's oh, I'm kind of paraphrasing here because the way they wrote it sucks. Um, <laughs> you, you <laughs> technique on his institutionalized wife. While a series of brutal attacks committed by a brood of mutant children coincides with the husband's investigation. And if you watch the trailer, it's pretty creepy. Um, the other plot summary. Oh, I love reading IMDb plot summaries. <laughs> a man's wife is under the care of an eccentric and unconventional psychologist who uses innovative and theatrical techniques to breach the psychological block in his patients. That was one sentence. When their daughter comes back from a visit with her mother and is covered with bruises and welts, the father attempts to bar his wife from seeing the daughter but faces resistance from the secretive psychologist. <sighs> that was another one. Yep. And final sentence. Meanwhile... The wife's mother and father are attacked by strangely deformed children, and the man begins to suspect a connection with the psychologist's methods. So, in a nutshell, yet another movie dealing with science and medicine and and sort of a a genetic component. You know, definitely a lot of early Cronenberg themes that Cronenberg revisits again and again in his pictures. So this is a a must-see if you're a Cronenberg fan, which, even though I call myself one, apparently I am not since I haven't seen it. And (laughs) I think what I'd like to do maybe like a double feature of this in Videodrome and see if... I can like get it to where you'll never talk to me again. <laughs> Actually, now what am I saying? You're, this is the guy who watches like Gatoroid versus Hemorrhoid versus Python in my pants or whatever the hell it is you watch. <laughs> um, so yes, the brood. Jealous. Yeah, of course I am. Uh, the brood from 1979. Like I said, David Cronenberg film, very uh, kind of dark and unsettling and definitely another, another one of those horror movies. That's more, I think about the ideas and the creep out factor though. I definitely think it's, probably far more gory gorier than uh, uh dead zone was but uh 1979 the brood that is my pick jay so i think another um, one's come to an end yeah and time spent <laughs> indubitably my friend indubitably so let's of course throw our thanks out to the great kevin spencer who as always produces the show art for us even if we um 
you know, might change schedules around at the last <laughs> possible second. And he has old schedules because we never told him that the new one was updated. If we didn't give you schizophrenia, we wouldn't be your friends. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew it was contagious? <laughs> now you know. <laughs> Shut up, stop talking to me. What? So, yes. So thank you to him. And, of course, JV, who, even though we're just recycling his stuff at this point, doesn't matter. We still thank him. I don't know. Still did a shit ton of our uh, spoiler alerts. That's so. right. Yeah. Indeed. And uh, so, Jay, you got any other any other contact or <sighs> important stuff to say? Yep. Check us out on Facebook. We're there in plenty of places. So just look for us on Facebook, Forgotten Flicks. Uh, check us out on the website. We've got lots of cool stuff there and more coming up, including movies we're going to talk about. So you can get ahead of the game, watch the movie, and join along in our frivolity. Um, <laughs> also, be sure and check out our PariahCon audio next week. We're gonna oh, and video. I'm gonna, I'm gonna damn determined to have the video on that post. It'll be on yep, Monday. And it's us in a dark, smoky room in which they played hardcore anime the night before. Just get out the luminol and the black lights, my friend. The chairs may or may not have been sticky. Uh, um, and yeah. um, you can also catch us on Twitter. Uh, I am at FlixSideKick, and Joel is at ForgottenFlix. Uh, you can also send us an email. Both of us are at uh, Jason at ForgottenFlix or Joel at ForgottenFlix.com. Dot com. <sighs> and I think that's all I got. So. And to prove that I never really listened to what you say, did you say ForgottenFlix.com? <laughs> yes, I did. I actually did your, your entire bit. Yeah. I covered it all because I know we're out of time. Yeah, I know. I was trying to like get something ready here. <laughs> My bad. What? Okay, so on that note, Jay, you want to finish it up? Oh, I miss my sweet Lenore. Even though she's a hoe bag! <laughs> <laughs>